Jesus. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 14 is what we'll be looking at. If you're able, one more time, I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be unto God. You may be seated. The war between Ukraine and Russia has killed or wounded over a staggering amount of 500,000 people. The barbarism and ensuing war in Israel has claimed over 15,000 lives. And these are certainly the two most prominent conflicts in today's world, at least that we're aware of in the U.S. That's not even touching on the turmoil that's going on in Myanmar and Sudan and the ever-continuing oppressive rule in North Korea. Now, I mention all of those things not because I'm a news pundit and I don't ever aim to be one. Nonetheless, as Christians and as human beings, for that matter, we have an obligation to be frank and real and honest about reality, especially when it comes to the topic of peace, which is what we're going to be looking at today. Many of you are familiar with that all-famous phrase in verse 14 that we read, probably using the King James language, glory to God in the highest, peace uh, on earth, goodwill toward men, as you may have heard it before. And that phrase, peace on earth, uh, the secular world loves that phrase even. You see it printed on cookie tins at Walmart, certainly plastered on Hallmark Christmas cards, and uh, sometimes as, as light fixtures on people's homes, and that kind of thing. It's a very popular phrase. It's a good phrase. It's a biblical phrase. But how do you make sense of that in light of all the conflict in the world today? How do you make sense of that as you look around and you, you feel that chaos in the world, around the world? You certainly see it in the country, in the U.S. You may feel it in your own home. And certainly all of us, to one degree or another, feel that conflict, that chaos, that unsettledness in our own hearts. So the question before us then is, what on earth does the Bible mean when it says peace on earth? What does it mean when Jesus, what does it mean that Jesus came into the world to bring peace on earth? How do we wrestle through this topic? Well, before we do so, right, these are big concerns, big topic. I'm not going to be able to address every little detail and rabbit hole that this, uh, the topic of biblical peace brings up. 
but I aim to provide a foundation that we can all unite around. Before we do so, before we wrestle with it, here's the sermon in a sentence for you. If you want peace around, if you want peace within, you must first have peace with him. And if you do have peace with him, then seek peace and pursue it. If you want peace around, and if you want peace within, you must have peace with him. And if you have peace with him, seek peace and pursue it. To unpack what that means, to wrestle through that, three questions, what is biblical peace? Where is that peace today? And then lastly, how do we live or experience that peace in 2023? What is biblical peace? Well, peace is not an esoteric, generic, abstract topic. It's not just something nebulous up there that, um, you know, how do you wrestle through? What's the the definition of it? No, biblically speaking, peace is a person. It's as simple as that. What is biblical peace? Peace is a person. Stated slightly differently, if you want to understand what peace is, true peace is, look at God Almighty. Judges chapter 6, verse 24, Gideon refers to him as Yahweh Shalom, or the Lord is peace. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, calls him the God of peace. So if you want to understand what peace is, you must begin with God and his word. Okay, this is a very basic foundation, very a simple, essential reality that we cannot rush past. Because the secular world tries to figure out, they try to wrap their head, and even their heart at times, around peace. But if you do that from a secular standpoint and an end point, eventually all you're going to end up doing is trying to grasp the wind with your hands. But you must begin with the firm foundation of God and His Word. All right, you might be saying, all right, check, I got that. Begin with God, begin with his word, I got that. What is biblical peace then? A few layers to it. On the surface, when you hear about peace, just in your own life, your own, in, in America, in the world, you might typically think of the absence of conflict. Does anybody typically think of that? Right? You think of peace in the Middle East, let's get rid of the conflict, and then there's going to be peace, right? You think of that, if you're arguing with somebody, What's peace? Well, let's just not argue. That's peace, right? Okay, there's, it's partially true, but that's not the biblical notion of peace. In God's economy, biblical peace isn't the absence of conflict, but the presence of eternal, abundant life. The presence of eternal, abundant joy. The biblical Hebrew word, does anybody know that? I said it just a moment ago. What's the biblical Hebrew word for peace? Shalom. Very good. You know your Bible. No, you're, uh, you're, you're Hebrew a little bit. What does shalom mean? Biblically speaking, shalom means to be complete, to be whole. It also means to live well. It's translated, at least in the New International Version, it's translated as prosperity, success, blessing, safety, health, even friendliness on a couple of occasions. And I like what one scholar highlighted. He highlighted four nuances of biblical peace. Number one, wholeness of life or body. That is your physical body, having wholeness of your life and your body. Number two, harmony between two parties. This is both in relation to harmony between people, one-on-one, or two different uh, groups of people, but also harmony with God, right? Person to God, people to God. Number three, prosperity, success, and fulfillment. So it's kind of this internal, even slightly external component to peace. 
And then fourthly, finally, victory over one's enemies. So whenever a, a Jewish person back then, even today, you greet someone with shalom, what you're saying is, may your life be filled with health, harmony, prosperity, and victory. Right? Very good words. Good truth to that. Now, that's the, that's the dictionary definition of this, right? But perhaps one of the most vivid places in Scripture to see this in action is Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 11. Turn there if you'd like to follow along. Isaiah 11, verses 6 to 11. This is what biblical peace looks like. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a child will lead them. A little child will lead them, excuse me. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. The young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. That day the Lord will reach out his hand a second time to reclaim the surviving remnant of his people. That is a very beautiful picture of what biblical peace looks like. And just one little thing I'll point out there regarding Bible trivia. It's one, I'm a fan of that. But how often have you heard it said, the lion will lie down with the lamb? If you just read that, that's technically not accurate. The meaning is certainly there, right? I'm not going to be nitpicky. If you say that and you hear your, your grandma say that, you don't need to correct them and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, the text does say, the wolf will live with the lamb, And then secondly, the leopard will lie down with the goat. Doubt y'all have ever heard that one before. The leopard will lie down with the goat. So just a little Bible trivia for you. So here's the thing. Why do I mention that? That description of biblical peace, of harmony, of wholeness, of health, that described, in a sense, the Garden of Eden. What happened in Genesis 1 and 2. It was perfect harmony. It was very good. And that's also Revelation 21 and 22 at the end, at the bookends of the Bible, That describes that reality as well in the future. So if that's the beginning, if that's the end, what on earth does that mean for us today in the middle, if we are in fact in somewhere in the middle? Leads us to the second question, where is the peace that Jesus talks about that the Bible emphasizes? Where is that peace today? Well, the peace that Jesus came to bring is first of all peace with God. This isn't news to many of you. Some of you it might be. This is helpful gospel reminders. If you want peace around, you want peace within, you must first have peace with him, referring to God Almighty. When Jesus came into the world, he did not first of all do so to bring international peace. Contrary to what the disciples wanted. That's what they wanted. That's what a lot of people today want as well. Right? Jesus, Christianity, God, the Bible, I'll believe it, I'll buy it, I'll follow it, as long as there'll be international peace. Well, what did Jesus say himself in Luke 21, 9-10? When you hear of wars and uprisings, do not be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom 
against kingdom. Jesus didn't firstly and foremostly come to bring international peace. It wasn't even an internal peace. I heard it this morning talking about it in Sunday school. Chris asked the question, something to the effect of what is spiritual growth? Like, what does that mean? And was it you, Ms. Diane? Somebody mentioned, basically means you be happy all the time. Right? You be joyful, exuberant, happy all the time. And sometimes when you think about peace, you might think of it in that context. So God came, not, okay, I got it. God didn't come to give international peace yet. I, okay, I'll, I'll grant that for now. But he did come to give me peace in my heart, right? So that I can weather through every hardship I face. All the storms, all the turbulence of life. I'm just going to be able to have this perfect poise and calm and, and just be able to weather through it all. Not necessarily. There is truth to that. As Philippians 4 talks about, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, right? There's truth to that, but that's not the foremost reason of what Jesus came to bring. The foremost reason of what he came to bring is peace with him, peace with God Almighty. That's our greatest need. Now, on the surface, right, I say that. Jesus came to bring peace with God. I say that. It's our greatest need. On the surface, you might think, yeah, but um, there's other kind of more pressing things in my life right now. Yeah, okay, fine, peace with God might be important, but um, again, a few examples to be frank. This Christmas season, you may be facing depression of a loved one dying recently. You might be facing the heartache of a relationship where trust was broken and abused. You might be facing the gruesome news of cancer attacking your body. You might be wrestling with feelings of self-doubt, wondering Does my life mean anything? Is it counting for anything? On and on it goes. Now, the Bible, let me be clear. The Bible never downplays any of those realities. Never. The Bible doesn't negate them. The Bible doesn't say that's not important. Never, ever, ever. However, the Bible in part was given to us so that you and I, so that everyone, would have our priorities straight. This is true both regards to the negative things in life, but also the positive things. The example, of course, those things I just described, those are the negative things we experience in life. They are bad. They are a result of the fall and whatnot. They are bad. I'm not going to dispute that at all. But God's Word reminds us of the greatest problem, the greatest pain that we face, and that is our hostility against the Lord. I'll unpack that in just a moment. On the positive side, when it comes to the good things in life, right? I mentioned some of those earlier, right? Eating a, a wonderful meal with your family during Christmas time or Thanksgiving. Um, hearing beautiful string music with the flute, right? These are good gifts from God. But that's not the greatest gift, not at all. The Bible was given to us to remind us there's something greater out there, something more important than these earthly realities. And that's true when it comes to peace with God. Our greatest problem is that we are at war against the Lord. We are his enemies. If you don't believe me, listen to Colossians 1.21. This describes our condition before we meet Jesus. Once you, again, talking to the church, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds as shown by your evil behavior. Romans chapter 8, verse 7, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. 
Romans chapter 5, verse 10, also declares that we were God's enemies. This is very strong language. The Bible's depiction of humanity is not neutrality. It's not as though everybody's just kind of neutral. There's not necessarily any good people, not any bad people. Everybody's just kind of in the middle. And um, yeah, you know, it's not that I hate God. That's not at all the picture. It clearly describes we are at war against the Lord. What's the problem with that? What's the problem with that? Big question, multiple answers to that, but a simple one, practically speaking. If you refuse the Prince of Peace, right? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is Yahweh Shalom. He is the God of peace. If you refuse him, if you turn your back against him, that's what hostility truly is, right? It's giving people the cold shoulder and being antagonistic against them. If you do that against the wellspring of peace, the wellspring of life, the wellspring of joy, if he's right here, right, you're supposed to face him, enjoy him. If you turn your back on him, what's left? The chaos of the world, right? the emptiness of the world, the brokenness that sin produces. But the beautiful message of Christmas, all right, is found in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Many of you are familiar with this verse. The beautiful message of Christmas is that Jesus came to reconcile us, to turn us around, to restore that broken trust, that broken relationship that we had so that we could have peace with our King. Isaiah 9, verse 6. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Brothers and sisters, I remind you today, if you want peace around and you want peace within, you must first have peace with him. And I'm here to remind you and tell you the Prince of Peace has come so that we can have that peace with our maker. That leads us to the third, final question. All right, that's what, what is biblical peace? I got that shalom, it's wholeness. Um, Where is that peace? Well, it's peace with God. And how can I experience that today in 2023? Now, I'm fully cognizant of the fact that I'm speaking to many Christians here. Okay, I, I don't know the, the heart condition of everybody in this room, but I'm, I'm fully aware I'm speaking to many Christians. Right? I know many of your stories and testimonies. And I remind you of basic gospel truth. I've heard it said before that uh, the gospel, I think it was by J.D. Greer, I've heard this one from, sometimes you might think of this kind of basic gospel message I just rehearsed for you, as the doorway into Christianity, right? I've heard that before. I heard that when I was young. I am a Christian. I've heard the gospel message. I'm a Christian now. Let me get on to the more important things, the deep things, the practical things. That's not at all the illustration. The more apt illustration is the gospel is the diving board and the gospel is also the pool. You dive into the gospel waters and that's the, the waters you swim in throughout your whole life. None of us ever graduate from the basic reality of the gospel. Okay? You're never too smart. You're never too mature for it. Having said that, for a Christian, for you who are, believe in Christ, who are part of the true church, it is legitimate to ask, how shall we then live? How do I, I've, I've got relationship with the Prince of Peace. I do have that. But how do I translate that to my horizontal experience with other people? That is a fair question. If you have peace with him, seek peace and pursue it. That comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. Seek peace and pursue it. 
1 Peter 3, chapter 10 and 11, which is actually quoting Psalm 34, 14, but it says, anyone who would love life, how many of you either love life or want to love life, right? Whoever, anyone who would love life and wants to see good days, what do they have to do? They must turn from evil, do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. Part of the way you experience that whole, full life is by seeking peace and pursuing it. So how do we do that? Well, it's both and, right? Seeking and pursuing, desiring it and acquiring it. Little example. Back in 2007, the Nintendo Wii was hot on the market. If you don't recall what that is, how many, let me see, call some of you all out. How many of you do not know what a Nintendo Wii is? Does anybody here not know what it is? Let me see your hand. Okay. Some of you, you if, no lying today, right? I trust you're honest before the Lord. So hopefully you know what that is, okay? It's a Nintendo, it's a, it's a gaming system for the TV, right? It was hot on the market. It came out the year before, but it had caught in wind. And it was just super popular, surging amongst all young people and families and really anyone. It was just a very novel thing. And this was the day before Amazon when you could just buy everything online and have it shipped to your door. You actually had to go out to the store still. And I remember, this is vivid in my mind because that's the year that I wanted the, the Nintendo Wii, right? So if somebody says, if, if a parent says, you know what, I'm looking to buy a Nintendo Wii for my kids. I'm seeking one. But they never drive around to Walmart or Target or Best Buy or GameStop or the mall. Are they actually seeking it? No. They might say that. They might talk highly of seeking it, of wanting it. But if you don't actually pursue it, your seeking is in vain. Your desire is in vain. So as Christians, it's not enough for us to merely talk about being people of peace or to talk about the Prince of Peace and and peace in general, but never practically pursue it in our daily lives. They go hand in hand. You have to seek it and you have to actually pursue it. Well, then how do I do that? How do I share it? How do, how do I be a peacemaker? As Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit the earth. How do I seek peace? A few guiding principles for you. All right, you have to understand the challenge I'm facing. This is a huge topic. Right? You can have sermons, each sermon to talk about a sermon on peace in the world, You could have a sermon to talk about peace in the nation. You could have a sermon to talk about peace in the community, peace in my family, peace in my own heart, right? There's a legitimate sermon for each of those. As you pursue peace, here's three guiding principles for you to help you as you do so. And one one last little thing I'll mention before I dive into that really quick. Regarding, Regarding the Nintendo Wii, you seek it, you pursue it, and you hold on to it, Right? But with biblical peace, you seek it, you pursue it, and part of the way you pursue it is by sharing it. It's not something you just go out and you look for it for your own life, your own heart. No, you seek it by giving it. That's a very important point. So how do you, here's some three guiding principles for you as you pursue peace as Christians. Number one, seek peace by pursuing the Holy Spirit. Seek peace by pursuing the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and what? Peace. Peace is not an isolated character trait. You may have heard this before regarding the fruit of the Spirit. It's not as though, you know, I, I'm decent in all the fruit of the Spirit except for patience. 
I need to grow in my patience. That's what I need to focus on. No, you need the, you need the Spirit of God in your life. The Spirit of God, you, you come to learn Him, who He is, trust Him, follow Him more, then all of those things will grow in your life. So it's the same thing with peace. I, I want peace in my life. I want peace in my heart. I want peace in my family. It's not just an isolated thing. The pursuit of peace must be a pursuit of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 to 16. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Now the world stops right there and says, Amen. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. What's the next phrase that the world ignores and downplays? And to be holy. It's both and. Holiness and seeking peace. Living at peace with others. You need the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, and only then can you truly have peace with other people. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Listen also to verses 15 and 16. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau for a single, for who, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Do you see all of that in there? The pursuit and experience of peace is coupled with holiness. It's coupled with an absence of bitterness. It's coupled with... Um, where, where else? Uh, sexual purity, right? These all go together. If you want peace in your life, pursue the Holy Spirit. This is very important. You, that's why you ha- must have that Godward focus in your life. Number two, seek peace by encouraging others. Seek peace by encouraging others. Again, remember, peace is not the absence of conflict. That's part of it. That's only one side of the coin. Peace is the presence of of harmony, wholeness, and even friendliness, if it's possible. Romans 14, verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Encouragement and peace go hand in hand. When you think about peace, I'm thinking both in the context of the meal around the table, but also you in your own neighborhood, if you have a neighborhood. Some of you live in the countryside and that kind of thing. But if you're in the neighborhood, you might easily think of being a peaceful neighbor as somebody who doesn't cause a stir. Right? You just mind your own business. You, you keep your own yard. You never bother anybody. That's not biblical peace. Right? Biblical peace is having a presence of harmony, of wholeness, even friendliness if possible. The same thing with around the table. A table in silence isn't just a peaceful table necessarily. Right? You know that. Some of you all have sat around the table and it's been dead silent. There's been anything far from peace. There's that tension. There's that bitterness. No. Peace is the presence of joy, of encouragement. And the thing about it is, you be the instigator of it. You take the initiative and you encourage someone. Send somebody a text. Send somebody a little card. Just say, hey, I'm praying for you. How are you doing? Let's, let's catch up sometime. Tell your own family that. Right? Encourage them with words. Tell the store clerk or the janitor when you go out shopping, you appreciate them for working in the, the busyness of this holiday season and all the rudeness that they experience. Right? Just, just encourage people. Seek peace by encouraging others. Thirdly and finally, it's just a little summary and reminder of what we've just been talking about. Seek peace by swimming in the gospel. Seek peace by swimming in the gospel. The more that you and I 
understand the gospel message, the more that we are rehearsed in the basic elements of it. It's not novel. It's not anything revolutionary. If you've grown up in the church, right? You've heard this message hundreds, if not thousands of times. You can never outgrow it. Swim in it. Listen to it. Be reminded that you were once alienated from God, but now you were reconciled to Christ. Once you had hostility with him, now you are his beloved son or daughter. Remind yourself of these precious truths because as you immerse your heart in that, only then will you be able to share that peace with others. The way that you treat others should be rooted and born out of a love for what God has done for you. That's the entire point of the gospel. God says, I've done this for you. Now, go share that with others. If you don't understand, if you don't rejoice in what he's done for you, you will not be able to share it with others. So brothers and sisters, I remind you, the foundation for sharing peace is celebrating the the reconciling work of God in Christ. Seek peace by swimming in the gospel. Brothers and sisters, that's a little, little intro for you to the topic of peace, biblically speaking. One of the initial reasons of why I wanted to bring that up is because we've been going through the Baptist faith and message for the past several weeks. And there's one in there that's entitled Peace and War. And in conclusion, as we've been doing with several of the other doctrinal statements, um, we're going to recite that together. And, but also, last thing, announcing for next week. Next week, Lord willing, we'll be talking about the doctrine of salvation explicitly and and unpacking what that is um, because that's also in one of the bullet points that we confess and we believe. There's a lot of overlap. There's some distinctives of what salvation is and I'll unpack that next week, but just put that on your radar so you're aware of what's coming. Will you please recite with me what we um, as a church declare regarding how we really ought to live um, after the Prince of Peace has done a work in our hearts. So recite this with me. It is the duty of Christians to seek peace with all men on principles of righteousness. In accordance with the spirit and teachings of Christ, they should do all in their power to put an end to war. The true remedy for the war spirit is the gospel of our Lord. The supreme need of the world is the acceptance of his teachings and all the affairs of men and nations and the practical application of his law of love. Christian people throughout the world should pray for the reign of the Prince of Peace. Will you join me in one final brief word of prayer from 2 Thessalonians 3.16? Then we'll close with the doxology. Then may the Lord of Peace himself Give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen. Will you stand and sing?